0: Well, thank you very much, Pastor Andy, for allowing me to come and share with you a little bit about what I do. I'm uh, Frank. I'm the missions director for our Free Will Baptist here in Missouri, and I have got the greatest job in the world. Uh, I thought I had the greatest job in the world when I was pastoring, and maybe pastoring is better, but this is a really good job, too. Uh, I get to go around and and watch God work. I get to watch God do some things that we hope and pray for uh, by using young men and sometimes not so young men to go out and establish churches and to go into different countries and hope to reach some people for the Lord and watch that happen. And it's just, it's just a tremendous job. Uh, some of you have been on missions trips with us and uh, to different places from Pennsylvania to Bulgaria and, and beyond, even places here in, in Missouri. And so we've, this church has been an active, active um, part of missions. And we're so tickled to be a part of that uh, again this morning, I want to just say that I am humbled as well. Um, I'm always amazed when I get to stand before a church that God is using me to stand before a church. Um, I, I'm, I'm a nobody. I didn't nothing special about me, but about uh, gosh, I lost track now. Way back in the 1900s, <laughs> I uh, I came to know the Lord in a Free Will Baptist church and. And I told him then, I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just don't want to guess at it. I need to know exactly what that is, and, and I'll do it. Not realizing that when you make promises with God, he will keep them. And, uh, uh, and so here I am today uh, doing so many different things. appreciate it. I, I'm going to spend some time talking to you about what we do and what God is doing in our church planning efforts. All, all of these that I'm going to talk about today is supported through the Show Me Plan. It's a plan we put together in Missouri to help our church planters get to the field faster and stay there longer. Because we were seeing a trend in which they would spend two, sometimes three years raising their funds, then go out to the field to work, whether it be in in Spain or whether it be in Missouri. And then as the income or their fundraising declined, then they'd have to come off the field for another year or so, re-raise funds and go back. So we said, there's got to be a better way. So we came up with the show-me plan that as we work together to give monthly or even annually, uh, knowing that we have some funds that we can set aside and say, okay, we have got this much to help you in your fundraising effort to go and to stay. And it has been a tremendous help. We set goals every year, what we need to have to help our, our, our church planters, uh, because we also we supply funds for those that are going internationally, nationally, and as well as our, in our state, and they are so appreciative of it. Because we have something that helps. Our, our goal is to reach, is to try and raise $360,000 a year. That's a lot. But that does not fully support anybody. If we were to fully support the, the pictures you're going to see on here today, we would have to raise like $2 million a year. Uh, not only for salary needs, but ministry needs. Uh, for running a church and all the church needs that take place and all those things. But this is a tremendous help. And as we work together to do that, prayer support, financial support, it makes it so much better, and we get to do more of what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. I'll talk to you about that, and then we'll open up God's Word and look at it. The next slide is going to show you who is supported uh, by the Show Me Plan. We have all these different pictures. From Pennsylvania, which is in the top uh, left-hand corner there with the Alvises, to Osage Beach, which is in the bottom right-hand corner with David and Kathy Belts all kinds of things that are taking place. Uh, I want to share with you just a couple of stories just to kind of give you some background. Well, let me, let me do another one here real quick. In the middle, in the middle of the picture, uh, the older couple, he's got on what looks like a pink shirt and she's got something red there. Those are the McDonald's. They're in Tokyo, Japan. Their main outreach for the year is a gospel choir, black gospel choir where they, they, the Japanese people come in and they learn singing these black gospel songs. And that's what they call it. I'm not trying to be racist. That's what they call it. Uh, and they love it. But you have got to go on YouTube and watch Japanese people singing black gospel. It is, it is awesome. But in the meantime, what they're singing it in English. And so they have to teach them what they're singing about. And so it has been a tremendous outreach for them. And so we just just love that. But next to them... The younger couple is the provost. Now, how many of you know who the Provos are? Yes, a good number of you. Those of you who do not, they are a couple out of Missouri. Uh, he grew up in Missouri, Fredericktown area, and has uh, gone to Bulgaria in Schumann. Uh, Debbie and I have been there four times, three times, and uh, we've taken different, different uh, groups up there uh, to be a part of it, love it. But let me share with you one story. Uh, one story is this, that as they're starting this, these, this church in Schumann, as well as Bible studies in various villages around Schumann, uh, there, there came a situation up. And that is, the orphanages there, they don't really, well, it's just different. When you're 18, you're out. Uh, you grow up, when you're 18, you're out. They may not have taught you a skill, they may not have taught you anything else, but at 18, it's okay, you're still alive, good luck. Uh, and out they go. One man got to that point. His name was Sevdi, or is Sevdi. And uh, Sevdi would be a typical Bulgarian in that calling himself atheist yet still prays to a higher power, that confusion aspect that takes place there. And so as Sevdi, having very little knowledge of religion, uh, is praying, "God, I need a new life." He's praying this for months, knowing that his 18th is coming up, and he's going to be released, and he doesn't know what to do, and he doesn't know how to handle it, and he doesn't want to be homeless, and he's just praying, Lord, I need a new life. Lord, I need a new life. God, I need a new life. His grandmother, very loosely connected, um, connects with him on Facebook and says, you need to check out this couple in town called the Provost. We, I hear they're doing some really neat stuff. They might be able to help you. And so he connects with them, finds them on Facebook and connects with them. Of course, Josh and Lydia, they don't know who this guy is, 18-year-old guy coming out of an orphanage. They don't know his, his approach to life. They don't know anything. And so they want to meet him someplace other than their home. You can understand that. Uh, and so they, they d- decide a meeting place. And this whole time, Sevdy is praying, I need a new life. Josh and Lydia are praying, Lord, we don't know what, who this guy is and how can we help him? And Seventy shares this as part of his testimony that when he got off the bus, when they were about to meet the, the, uh, the provost, he said one more time, Lord, if this is something that's going to help me, I need a new life. Guess what the name of our church is in Schumann? New Life Free Will Baptist Church. That's just cool. And so Seventy catches on to that, and he goes... This must be... God must be real. So he begins to talk with Josh, and they have Bible studies, one-on-one Bible studies and talking and sharing. And over weeks of this, he comes to find that there is one true God. There is one Savior. There is one path that leads to eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ. And today, Sebdi has never missed a service. He is constantly... He goes with Josh to the villages to set up these Bible studies. And now, after about a year, however long it's been... He is now starting to lead his own Bible study. Isn't that awesome? That is one of many stories of what we do when we send somebody to a place like that. I also want to share with you a story about at the bottom central two couples. Uh, it's 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 our it's our couple in in Rolla. You see the black and white picture, black and white picture just next to them. That is the state restart where we go into a church and we restart churches because it's gotten so low they just simply can't tear take care of themselves, and so they ask us to come in and refurbish everything and start over, which we do. One thing we noticed in Rala is that Rala has a lot of international people. It is the most unique, unique city in our country. There are other cities that have a lot of international students but, and, and international families, but they typically would group in this section of the city, might be Ukrainian, and this group over here would be Chinese, and so forth and so on, where Rala only has one Walmart, there's no grouping around. Everybody's mixed together. And so to, I began to call around to the churches and ask them, are you reaching any of these other different nationalities that are represented in Rolla? And they said, well, they're welcome to come, but we don't have anything specific uh, for them. So we decided we would make something specific for them. And I have lost track of how many different countries are represented in our church in Rolla right now. Too many to, to keep track of. Those who are out of Islam are attending our church there in Rolla. Those that are out of countries that in which Christianity is illegal, like China, are attending our church uh, in, in Rolla. I'll tell you one uh, young man named Henry in our church there in Rolla. Henry's from northern China. And uh, before he came to the U.S. to go to the university there in Rolla, he visited a, a secret church, attended a service, a Bible study there. And he saw this, and he heard the words, and he came together and said, you know, I need, to, uh, I need to check this out more when I get to the States. And so he did. He came to Rolla, and, and our guys are on campus all the time, at least twice a week, sometimes three or four. And so the Mosaic Church is very well known amongst the internationals there in, in Rolla. He said, I'm going to go check that church out. So he does. Now, Henry is his American name. I use that because I can't say however he says his real name. But uh, um, so he comes, and Farron just happens to be teaching on the basics, on who is God, who is Jesus, what is the Word, what, you know, all these kind of things. And every week, Henry's got questions. Well, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. I don't understand this. And they would have an hour discussion explaining things. And Farron would always say, you know, at some point, I'm not going to be explaining everything. At some point, there's a step of faith on your part to trust that God is real and that he loves you. So after several weeks of that, and him beginning to pray, he came to Pharaoh one Sunday and said, God has spoken to me. I must be a Christian. And so he received Christ as his personal Savior there in Rolla. Now, most of you would know the answer to this question. After you become a Christian, what's the natural thing that happens next? You follow through with Baptism. Brand new concept to Henry. So as they start explaining baptism to Henry, he interrupts as they're talking about this. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do I have to do this naked? <laughs> and I said, no, no, you don't have to do this naked. Explains how the process, bring an extra set of clothes, all that kind of stuff. And so he goes home, comes back the next t- Wednesday or Sunday, whatever it was. And uh, he says, okay, I've been practicing. I can hold my breath for a minute is that long enough (laughs) what that says is he knew nothing but now he's on the path of knowing everything all because together we have come together to help send somebody to rala so henry from china could hear the gospel and that's just i just love that cape gerardo which andy's already talked about which is the far uh, left corner there um they they're in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. This, this is not unique to them, but it happens, seems to happen to them more often. Um, once in a while, they have somebody come to the service, be a young couple, and they'll sit through the service, and then afterwards they'll come to them and say, you know what, we, we're not understanding something. They say, well, what's that? I said, well, you made reference to, I'll just make this part up, you made reference to Philippians four 4.13, but we don't know how to find it. We can find Philippians, but how do you find 413? Because that's what we say. And so you have have a generation of people who don't understand really even how to use the Bible. And so we have to, we approach that with them as well. So those are just a few of many stories of what we're helping to do by supporting the Show Me Plan in that. I think the next slide is going to be a little bit of a testimony from the provost, and you'll get to see Seventy.
1: Hey Missouri, I am Josh Provo and this is my good buddy Sebby. Hey Missouri. And we want to tell you a little bit about what God is doing in Schumann through Missouri Philo Baptist Missions. So our family moved to Schumann back in June of 2018 and began praying for creative opportunities to share the gospel with people in the city and the surrounding villages. Most Bulgarians are very skeptical of anyone who starts to talk about Jesus and so we often need to show the love of Christ with our hands before we can share the love of Christ with our mouths. And God has given us some amazing opportunities, and several of those opportunities have involved the state of Missouri. In the past 12 months, we have had three different teams come from the states. The first team gave out 300 Christmas presents from Operation Christmas Child in 10 villages around Schumann. The next two teams, served in three different villages, they did huge service projects, and in the end, we shared the, vi- we shared the gospel and gave out in total over 100 Bibles. Our God is doing great things, and one thing that we are really excited about is that this upcoming year, our new church in Schumann, including Seventy, will be involved in taking over some of the ministries that last year we relied on teams from the states to handle. We are so thankful for the Show Me Plan. So what does it mean for our family to be a part of the Show Me Plan? It means that while we are here in Schumann, we don't have to constantly worry about whether or not our account is going to dip into the red. We're able to be here and serve and share the gospel. And also being a part of the Show Me Plan, we know that the state office is regularly sending out updates so that you know how to most effectively pray for the church planting work going on here. So the big question is, How can you be a part of what the Show Me Plan is doing in Bulgaria and around the world? The best way to take part is by adopting a share in the Show Me Plan. One share is $25 a month or $300 annually. And when you give, when you adopt a share in the Show Me Plan, you're not just supporting our family, you're supporting families in Missouri that are planting churches in other states and around the world. What an amazing way to take part in missions. So how can you give? You can write a check and put it in your church offering plate. You can go to momissions.com and give with your credit card, or you can sign up for direct withdrawal through a bank account. We simply cannot wait to see how God uses Missouri and Schumann in 2020. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye. Yeah,
0: they're they're a good couple. Go ahead and go to the next slide there, guys. So that, that kind of repeats what he's already told you how to support the Show Me Plan. Uh, but I also have to give you greetings because they've asked me to do that, to give you greetings from Troy, Missouri, our sixth state church plan to go self-supporting by funds from the Show Me Plan. Also from Kabul, Missouri, a restart we did there uh, that when, the, when they, the church closed and we closed it and started over. Uh, and the, the eight adults that they had and six kids that they had want to say thank you because now they're running well over 140 in fact, they, they have more people than chairs, and there's people usually standing against the back wall uh, there in Kabul. They also have a, a, an outreach program for addiction there. and they actually had another church about a half a block away from them, that closed from a different denomination, and they gave them their building for their outreach uh, program. All started because we worked together to do a restart there in, in Kabul. And when, just constantly. I want to say thanks from Nate Alton in Pennsylvania. We took a mission trip there. Same story there. Two families went there to start a church, and then eight years later, they're now running about 150 in two services and just praising God for what he is doing there uh, in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. So it just, it's not just about what is happening now. It's what's happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future uh, with, with what God is doing. We're so excited about what God is doing. Hope that you'll be a part of it. Uh, if not, we completely understand, but I want to give you the opportunity, as we 've explained this morning to do that all right uh, next slide guys let 's get open our Bibles. I want to share with you four things in god 's word, uh, fairly quickly here uh, to uh, to let us know how this all can tie together this This message came together uh, quite oddly actually because I I began to think in terms of of about a high school friend that I had. Uh, Debbie and I went to the same high school, voted favorite senior couple, (laughs) and and graduated there. And I'm so appreciative of her. She's always been by my side, always been very supportive. Anything that I'm doing, even something as as crazy as this, rides with me uh, just about everywhere. Mom went with me yesterday to uh, Park Hills area to do some Missions promoting and excited for her being with us as well. But the young man that I was talking about, well, he's a year older than I am, uh, in high school, uh, he found that he had a strange talent at that time, way back in the 1900s. He could write his name backwards in cursive, and it looked perfect. Then he saw that he could do that with both hands. He could write his name regularly, and he could start at the end and write it this way. And we're all going, this dude is weird. And then he found he could do it mirrored. He could write it in such a way that you, when you stuck it up to a mirror, it looked normal. Of course, this is back in the, I don't even say, way back then. And, uh, and the people were just not used to things like that. And people, rumors were going around that he was on drugs. And I, my response was believe me, people on drugs have a hard time writing their name the right way. <laughs> but I began to think in terms of what, what was it like when God wrote? So we'll take a look at four areas when God writes. The first one is in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, I'll give a brief background. Uh, I want to assume that everybody just knows everything, like Philippians 4.13. But give you a a, a brief background. Israel, has uh, the, the nation of Israel, has been in Egypt for 400 years. They have now been enslaved by Egypt, even though they were invited to be there at the beginning. You'll have to read on that. Uh, and now they're, they're praying for a deliverer. They're praying for a way to get out of Egypt, out of slavery, and all these kind of things. And they send by a man, a familiar name, by the name of Moses. And Moses comes, and of course, if you've seen the, the, t- the movie The Ten Commandments, or been to Branson and seen the, the story of, of Moses there, you understand more what's taking place. But through a series of God just showing up in several different areas, the Egyptians release uh, the Israelites, they, they march on uh, to start themselves as a new nation. But in the process of that, when you get to Exodus chapter 20, they come to a particular mountain that God directs them to and uh, because He is going to deliver to them His law, the Word of God. Now, you read here, it's kind of interesting. And I can remember as a young Christian at age about 23, reading the Bible for the first time, coming to places like this and thinking, why? So here's what it says. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the, the mountain smoking, and the people saw it. They trembled so far off, and they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And verse 20, And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, God has come to, to test you, that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off. But Moses drew near the thick darkness where he's at. So you've got this scenario where you've got the mountain of God quaking, shaking, earthquakes, lightning, smoke, all this stuff taking back. And there's the people of Israel saying, okay, you go ahead, Moses, going up there to the mountain, we're going to stand over here. Which I don't blame them. That's what takes. But my, in my mind, I'm thinking, why all the drama? Why all this stuff taking place? Just write it out, hand it to them, move on. But you got all this stuff taking place. Then I remembered something. My daughters. Those of you who have children, uh, have had children, you'll remember this scenario. You remember when you ask your kids, okay, honey, I want you to go clean your room. You leave it at that, and you walk off. How many of you know that room is not going to get cleaned? Right? But I found that if I pick up a flyswatter... Wave it around a little bit. Say, I want that room cleaned. And I'm going to be there in an hour to check it out. Better chance? That's what's happening here. God is saying, this is my law. Take it serious. I want to show you that, how serious I am about this by all this dramatic scene taking place. I don't want you to see this as some flippant thing if you've got time, whatever it is, it's my law, it's the direction. This is life and death. We know God's law is important. Amen? Amen? We know it is. It is so vital. Now, now let me be a little personal here. We know God's word is important. We know it is vital. but do we really apply it like we should? I'm going to talk about myself only. Sometimes I don't. Because remember what the Ten Commandments say? Honor the Lord our God as the only thing out there. Well, I don't have a problem with that. But then it also says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I'm not so good at that one. It also says, don't lie, don't kill, don't cheat, don't covet. Honor your mother and father. All these other things that come up, sometimes we don't take it seriously, Right? We need to do do some things in our own lives that keep the awe of God there. God is trying to establish the awe of his word at this point that it will carry them on because they're going to be tempted not to keep his word in awe. And he knows this. And they did do it. We know the story. And so I have to look at my own life. How do I keep God's word important in my own life? Well, one thing I do is I I, I start a, a Bible reading plan every year. It's so easy to do now with Bible apps. And I, I encourage you to do that as well, even if you don't follow through with it every day. Continue to do that because you can't follow God's Word if you don't know God's Word. Amen? Amen. Hard to do. You can't find it as important if you don't take time to learn it. It's something you've got to engage in. And so I, I found that to be a part of my life. The, the times that I felt... Apart from God was times that I was not in his word. And that's just a confession. I also did something odd, and I got a mezuzah. You look it up. Uh, and a mezuzah, you put on your, your, your door frame of your house. It's got a little bit of Deuteronomy 6 in there, which, which is an instruction to make the word of God paramount in your home. And I, that reminds me to make God's word important as I'm entering the door of my house. Now, the Jewish custom is to kiss it, and say, Lord, thank you for your word. I can't say that I do that all the time. But I, that's something to remind me to keep God's word important. In our homes, is it talked about? In our homes, is it portrayed? It's not hard to go into anybody's house and figure out what they're all about. I bet there's a whole lot of Chiefs fans right now. Right? No, <laughs> there's a few not. but uh, <laughs> Crazy people. But... Uh, It's not hard to tell if they're St. Louis fans, typically. It's not hard to tell if they're hunters, usually, when you walk in their home. You can see the dead things on the walls, right? (laughs) But wouldn't it be good if somebody could come into our home and recognize immediately God's Word? See, that is important. Well, what happens is if we, we, we get lax in God's Word is that we start seeing the cares of this world taking over. And other things become paramount in our lives other than the recognition of what God has greatly done in the past. That takes us to our second place where we're going to see where God writes. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Excuse me, Daniel chapter 5. Debbie's heard this before. Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, where the situation there is, is that you've had... Israel, they forgot the awe of God, they forgot the awe of his word, they, they forgot that he absolutely means it, they forgot the earthquakes, the lightnings, the flashings, all that kind of stuff. Several uh, years, centuries later, all that kind of went the, the, the wayside, and they became captive again. And they're in a, another country, in another land, overseen by another king. And But God showed himself over and over through Daniel and through his people to the king Nebuchadnezzar. Even to the point where Nebuchadnezzar himself, the king of Babylon, declared God as the God at least three times. But now when we get to Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar is no longer on the scene. But his son, Belshazzar, is. And Belshazzar, as you read there, as you see the story that I'm part of it that I'm not going to read, he is all about the party. He just wants to have a party every night. He just wants to be about friends and all this kind of stuff. He doesn't believe in any God, but listen to me. You may think that he does not know, but you've never been in a kingdom. When a king declares something, it is your job to know what the king declared. He knows about all this stuff. But in the midst of all this, he declares, it's getting boring. This partying stuff is getting boring. We need to step it up a notch, which is always the case. Bring out... The utensils of the of the Israelis. Bring out what they use to worship their God, and we'll get drunk with those things. We'll fill those things up with wine and we'll just party with those. Let me tell you something. God will allow us to be stupid for a while. But there comes a point when he says it's enough. And with Belshazzar, it came to the point where it was enough. Let me pause here for a second and give you a little bit of a history lesson of. Uh, of me, well, of all of us. Uh, those of you that are older, you remember way back when when they used to deliver to your house this thing called a newspaper. <laughs> and it had the, the news of the town and any news that was news, it was in the newspaper. Well, uh, the, with us, the two days of the week that was great for the newspaper was Sunday because you had all the, the sales and coupons and all that kind of stuff came in on Sunday, and the cartoons were in color on Sunday. But the other popular day was Tuesday. And the reason Tuesday was popular, not because of what was typically on page one, but what was on page three. Because page three was the weekly report from the police department. And who all got speeding tickets? And so everybody looked there and then called everybody on there. Ah, I see you got your name in the paper. <laughs> Judgment uh, is not always fun. Belshazzar finds that out here. As he says, bring all those utensils out. We're going to have a good time with them. We're going to party with them. We're going we're to you know, rub our nose at, at that god. Then all of a sudden, a hand appears on the wall and writes. It says that Belshazzar is so scared, his knee is actually knocked together. I I would, I would be there. But it writes words on the wall, that they don't know what the words mean. And so they call for Daniel, because Daniel's the great seer who can who could answer these kind of questions, who interprets dreams, and all these things take place. So they they say, Daniel, come on in here and and tell us what this means. And in Daniel chapter 5, starting with verse 26, here is what it says. Daniel gives the interpretation. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tikal, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. As you continue reading, you'll find that that night Belshazzar died, and that is exactly what took place. Judgment had come because of the loss of the awe of God on Israel. It affected others who lost the awe of God, even though they had seen him work in very specific ways. Let me say this. All of us are going to be judged. All of us live forever. The judgment is about where you spend forever. There is a heaven that is very real. That's the kingdom of God. There also is a pit called hell. Those are the only two destinations. You're either ushered in, you're either going to be judged, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom, or you're going to be judged unknown. I do not know you. You did not follow me. You did not obey my law. You are not welcomed into the kingdom. You have the pit waiting for you. I know that sounds harsh, maybe even unfair, but that's God's word. He is the king who has declared it and he has put it in place. It's not for me to decide whether it's right or wrong. It's not for me to decide anything. That's just simply the way it is. That is why it is so important to live your life in a way that is glorifying to God. If you believe in God, you do well, the book of Ephesians says, but the demons also believe. So it's got to be more than head knowledge. It's got to be action knowledge. Now we're going to go to our third place. And this is a place where law and judgment come face to face with grace and mercy. That is found in John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, we've got another familiar story. We've got Jesus having a Bible study. And in the midst of the Bible study, he is interrupted by the religious leaders of the day with a situation that they feel they can entrap him in, a no-fail situation. Let me, let's just read the situation here. That's probably the best way to explain it. John chapter 8, starting with verse 2. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Verse 6, they said to him, testing him, that he might have something of which to accuse him, Jesus. But Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. But they continued, ask, they continued asking him. So here's a scenario. Jesus is having the Bible study. They drag this woman, caught in the very act of adultery, throw her at his feet and say, she has broken the law. The judgment is she's to be stoned to death. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? They can't wait for the answer. They can't wait for it. Because they've got, they've got it set up where they're going to nail him either way. If he says let her go, he has broken the law, and they're going to stone them both. But if he says stoner, then he loses his reputation as the man of mercy, the friend of sinners, all these things that he's known about, and the people will fall away. So that's why they keep asking, what do you say, what do you say, what do you say? What does Jesus do? He says he stoops down and he writes in the, Loose soil of the area of that time. Now here's where I need to make a confession. I do not have any degrees in Greek, Hebrew, or Arabic. But I could have an associate's degree in looking things up on the internet. <laughs> and as I look things up on the internet, I find that the word here is right is catagraphene. The typical word is graphene. But this is catagraphing. And catagraphing means to write against. A mark against something or someone. So here's my proposal. You've got the situation where you've got people that have been gathered around. They've been told that they're going to get to stone someone to death today. They see someone that is broke of the law and the guilty person is supposed to be stoned to death. They've got blood in their eyes, rocks in their hands, and Jesus is drawing in the sand and he says the words, whoever has no sin, let that person cast the first stone. I'm thinking he's writing something in the sand that causes these people that as you read on says one by one they drop their rocks and they walk away. He wrote their sins in the sand. Convicting enough that they walked away. He looks at the woman and says, Woman, where are your accusers? Are there any? And she says, No one, Lord. I love what he says. You need to remember what he says. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more He recognized she had sinned Go and sin no more He said I don't condemn you I want you to learn this from this passage Who Was there anybody there That could have thrown the first stone You don't have to say the answer Just want you to think it Was there anybody there That could have thrown that first stone The answer is yes Jesus could have thrown the first stone He is without sin. He could have thrown the first stone and been justified because she was guilty of the law. She had broken it. She was worthy to be stoned. He could have thrown it and been just fine. But learn this. People who are not qualified to judge us will try. But the one who is qualified never condemns a repentant heart. Can we say amen? She's lying there, she's weeping, she, she's breathing her last, she knows this is her last hour on earth, you better believe she was sorry. I don't know the story there, I don't know if she was entrapped, I don't know if she was a beggar that, she, that they brought in. There, there could have been all kinds of scenarios where she wasn't just an everyday prostitute. But she says, no, no accusers are here, and he says, I, I, don't, I don't condemn you either. Because he saw the repentance in her heart. I need that. I need that. I'm just as guilty as she is. More than once. I've sinned. The scriptures tell us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We're all just as guilty as that woman. But we all receive the same forgiveness as that woman if we are repentant in our hearts. So we've seen the law, we've seen the judgment. And we've seen this. Here's another caveat I want to bring out. What was the law written on? Stone. Not papyrus. Not wood. Stone. Why stone? It represents permanence. It represents foreverness. It means it's more than just who I'm giving it to. It means it's going to last forever. That's why we have grave stones and not... Grave papers. The judgment was written on the wall because judgment is public. The scriptures even tell us that, every, that at some point on our judgment, a lot's going to be known that we don't want known if we haven't been forgiven of it. But if the law was written in stone, judgment was written on the wall, where were the sins written? In the sand why were the sins written in the sand so they could be easily wiped away the law is written in stone but our sins are written in sand because that's how much God loves us I don't know about you but i sure need that that's how great God is that's how loving God is he establishes the law you break the law there are severe penalties all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. All those things. But it also says the wages of sin is death, but but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We should be praising Him now for that. Last place. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 something I want you to see. Verse 17. This is where God is going to write. Let's just, let's just read it. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, grasp that word overcomes, because overcome means there's something to Overcome. There's going to be hardship There's going to be difficulties There's going to be decisions There's going to be all those things in life That you have to get through And get through with your eyes on the Lord To him who overcomes I will give some of the hidden manna to eat And I will give him a white stone And on that stone a new name written Which no one ex- knows Except him who receives it You know I, I've got two daughters Big sis and little sis I've got four grandchildren Cupcake uh, Kendall Rue, Livy B, and then the last one was a boy. I call him boy. <laughs> Come here, boy. I just like saying it. You got a pet name for your wife or maybe your kids or grandkids. The Lord's got a pet name for you. I don't know what it is. It's between you and him. What's it written on? Stone. Why not paper? He purposely says, I'm going to give you a white stone with a nickname, pet name between you and me that you and I are going to share. And when I talk to you, I'm going to say, hey, buddy. Hey, Henri. Whatever it is. Let's talk. These are the four things that we desperately want to get across to as many people as we can in Missouri, in our nation, and around the world. We want to get across to as many as possible that God's Word is vital. We want to get across that judgment is sure it's going to happen. We want to show them that God's grace is truly amazing. And we also want to tell them That he loves them so much that he's got a pet name for them in heaven waiting on them. If we can get those four things known to more people, how does that change the kingdom of God in the future? Increased involvement, increased connection, and more people miss the pit. That's what it's all about. But we can talk about missions to other places all we want to. I don't want you to miss it either I know a lot of you folks We go to this church But I don't know everybody So I want to invite you As the band comes up I want you to understand That God's word is vital I want you to know that judgment is sure I want you to know that God's grace is amazing And I want you to know That as we're talking about people in other places We're talking about people right here as well And we want you to get that pet name from Jesus. The way you do that is by truly giving your life over to the king who is in charge of the kingdom. He's going to give you his word that you will try to follow the best you can. You will believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God, the only son of God, and he is the only savior for my sins, the only one that redeems me back to the king. And I promise to live my life this way under the kingdom rules if you've not done that today's the day to do that today's the day of salvation don't gamble another day off it's not my decision it's yours but I'll ask Pastor Andy to come up and finish this out